America, we're, we're supposed to be teammates. And we got a lot of bad teammates out there. And we're not so sure about how good our coach is in terms of helping us find a way to get through these scenarios together. We can't do it individually. And when you've got a basketball team full of talent, um, but everyone's not on the same page, don't have the same goal, and trying to do it on their own, they don't win. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Okay, so we're here today with University of Montana head men's basketball coach, Travis DeCure. Travis, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking about doing this a long time. Um, I'm thankful we finally are getting it done. And I got to disclose off the top, you and I have a bit of an indirect personal connection. You and my wife, Maggie, went to Mercer Island High School together. I think you were a couple of years ahead of her. Small world. Small, small world. <laughs> it is a small world. Surely, you know, I don't know, shortly after you were... Um, you came back to the University of Montana. I think she saw you up at a Rattlesnake Elementary School function or something and said, hey, I, th- I think I went to high school with that guy. And I said, yeah, he's the coach here now, silly. So that was, yeah. So you've been here since 2014 um, and played, did you play three or four years here as a player? I was here for four, played three seasons. This has got to be a strange time. I and mean, we were catching you in the summer, uh, what would normally be going on now in a, in a regular year, in a year without coronavirus, what would you and your staff be up to right now? Uh, normally for us, uh, this time of the calendar, we, we'd just be finishing up our, our, our last full week of, of individual group workouts before the recruiting calendar, the recruiting period starts. Uh, next week, we would, would be a three- to four-week stretch of being out of town Wednesday to Sunday. Um, so this would probably be the most important week for us with our current roster, uh, before coming back together again in the fall. And so would you be out on the road, you know, meeting with families, meeting with coaches, you know, the heavy recruiting period. I mean, it's just gotta be recruiting has to be such a different, uh, thing right now. Right. And July is, is more of an evaluation period. Okay. Uh, but, but the thing that makes this period so tough is I could be in three or four cities in 24, 48 hours. Right. And there's so many tournaments, so many events taking place. You've got West Coast kids on the East, West Coast kids in the South. Um, and, and so you, you might only be recruiting 10 kids and, and be spread out into seven cities, seven states. Uh, so the, the most difficult portion of is creating a schedule that allows you to see the kids you need to see. And so are you getting a lot of like incoming video now? Is that kind of the primary way of evaluating players, video and uh, conversations with coaches? We try to use that to narrow down the list. Um, but it, it, you'll get to that point where you need to see them live yeah. uh, to have a better feel. Um, you you want to see them in timeouts. You want to see how they handle adversity with officials, things like that that you might not pick up watching on a video. And how are you even able to make those determinations now? Now it's difficult, um, but fortunately for us, we have a very young roster. Uh, we, we played a lot of freshmen last year. We've got uh-huh. a large group of, of new faces this year. We really only have one scholarship, probably. If everyone stays intact the following year, and, and so we're not necessarily desperate to use it. And if we did, 
you know, maybe that would be more likely to a transfer um, or we just push that back into a year. So for us right now, I don't feel like what's happening with the pandemic is, is affecting us as much as it is others uh, when you talk about future recruiting. Sure, that makes sense. Um, I would imagine, though, you know, one of the things I miss in this remote teaching environment is, um, and this is something my college coach used to call it, he used to call it the eyeball check. You know, you're sort of in the, you know, the kids are in the class, you can sort of look them in the eye and get a sense for, okay, this, this guy's doing okay or not doing okay. And I would imagine that that as a coach has got to be a real challenge in this moment, being able to kind of take the pulse of your players and, and, and understand how they're doing. Oh, the, the, the actual FaceTime, not iPhone FaceTime, but the actual face-to-face time. Yeah. Um, those that are good at it and, and, and make it a priority typically separate themselves from other programs um, in terms of the success of their student-athletes. And I think that's been a strength for us. And, and it makes it fairly difficult because these kids, they love texting. They would prefer that than an actual phone call. And, and so you don't really get to hear tone of voice. Um, you get one word replies. And so you really don't know what's going on with some of these guys, um, especially right now. It, you know, in all honesty, I think there are some people that could be struggling right now with the pandemic and don't know how to voice it. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or can't describe it or don't even realize it um, just being locked indoors for so long. Yeah, that's interesting, the stressors of the pandemic and, and, and how they hit all of us. And we've talked about this on the podcast in a variety of ways. It's one of those things that we're all we're all experiencing it, but we all experience it in such different ways. It touches us in different ways. Um, do you have a sense for you know how it's affecting the players at all. I mean, I know I don't necessarily want to go back to the end of the season last season, but that was such a abrupt, unfortunate. I mean, it felt like the rug got ripped out from, from everybody. I'm sure. Um, how's it been since like kind of getting the team back together? I think one of the tough things for athletes is that you're, you're, you're accustomed to having closure to every season you've ever played. You, You never had a season that you weren't eliminated in some way or another. Um, and so we never really finished last season. And then there's delays into preparing for the next season. So, you know, for a lot of these guys, I think they just feel like they're on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, basketball is their pastime. The time in the weight room, the time working out, the time together. And for an athlete, when you don't have your pure pastime, sometimes you get lost. And, and that's the biggest fear I have for these guys individually because they won't communicate it if they are going through these things. But uh, I do sense that there's probably some issues in that regard right now for a couple of guys. And we're getting closer. But today's first day we've had our guys on campus and met with them. And they'll start working out on their own tomorrow. Some have got some in today. So I think that they'll start to slowly but surely get back into, um, you know, just not necessarily playing for them, but kind of lifetime for them in terms yeah. of just how their, their days typically go. And are you able to, with, with COVID-19 restrictions, kind of get some routine back into the, into the mix for the players and the coaches? Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, just with NC2A rules right now, it's a dead period for us with a lot of things. So we, we can't be in the gym or in the weight room with them right now. So everything's on their own. We can meet with them. You know, we, we, we got with the group earlier this morning and gave them some information in terms of protocols and how, how to get through this sure. this time. Um, and we'll start grabbing some guys and some one-on-ones and just check-ins, how you doing. Um, 
you know, and, and, and answering any questions they may have and make sure they know we're here for them. But it's never the same when you're not getting between the lines with folks. So hopefully July 20th will be our first day we could do that and get a little closer to um, getting back into player coach form before school actually starts. And I would guess now, like having folks back on campus is great. Because one of the, I, mean, I had a conversation with Coach Houck a few weeks ago for an alumni event. And he was saying that there's, you know, great disparity across his roster in terms of the sort of equipment and facilities that his players have access to when they're not here on campus. I mean, somebody might be working out in his garage with whatever sort of weights he can find. Another guy might have access to a top flight uh, workout facility and then everything in between. That's got to be pretty tough when you're sort of trying to prescribe workouts and conditioning and not exactly knowing what the players do or don't have access to. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for us, we, we've, you know, the trainer is, is kind of the, the new era resource yeah. in college athletics in high school. And, and so a lot of guys have one or two people that train them and put them through workouts on a consistent basis. And then to have a period of time where you can't be with someone else, there's, there's some guys that have been lost in that regard, but I think there's an old school approach to that. Um, I think these kids have been handicapped a little bit by some of the um, excess of resources. Mm. And maybe it was good for some of these guys to find a way to create a workout for themselves, whether that's cardio, strength and conditioning, getting up shots, because they know the things they need to improve on, at least our returning players. Yeah. Um, and when your hand's not held, sometimes you become more resourceful. Uh, your sense of urgency increases as opposed to waiting for someone to call you or pick you up to come work out. So I, I think that part of it's been healthy for our group. But, you know, different strokes, different folks, different different sports. Um, but for me, as I've seen the game evolve over the years, I'd like to see some of these kids go back um, in, in, in regards to creating their own environments and working out on their own a little more than they have in the past. Yeah, when I hear you say that, Coach, it kind of speaks to – at least my outsider impression of the the wonderfully strong culture that you've created on your team. I mean, I've, I've said this to you privately that you know, any of your players I've ever had in class or interacted with on campus, there's just something really special about how they approach their time here at the university. I'd love for you to talk about your kind of philosophy with regard to the culture on your team and, and the, the pillars of leadership that you bring to the table. Um. You know, that, that's kind of been formed over the years, and I kind of started working on it a little bit as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses of programs I've been a part of, things I thought worked, um, reflecting back to my years as a head coach in junior college and high school. Um, you know, for us, you know, leadership, uh, pride, uh, respect, I, I think those three things come together, right? Be leaders, you, you can't become a good leader until you learn to follow. And, and if you if you learn to follow and and have feel for what it is to not be that person in a leadership role, you then, when it's your turn, are a little more prepared to have an understanding for, for the perspective that the people you're trying to lead have. And, and, and that's where the respect piece comes in. I think that goes two ways. And like I tell my guys, we've opened door policy. They can come in here and close the door anytime they want mm-hmm. or be accountable, you know, um, 
if you if you feel that there's something that needs to be addressed and there's not one person in our program that can't come do that right and, and i have to have enough respect for them uh just as much as i want in return to sit back and listen um and and then our pride is what motivates us right we, we all have an end game we all have something we're aiming for but the reality is is we might not all reach our goals and and so your pride is really what motivates you every day when you get up um and then in addition to that communication is huge yeah right if, if you reply to text messages reply to emails um if you reach out to people when there might be a change or you're going to be late or you can't get something done or you don't understand something um you're going to be more successful with figuring out a way to, 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 to find a solution to whatever obstacles you may coming up against. Guys that, that they can communicate off the floor are going to be the ones that are probably your better communicators on the floor. It carries mm-hmm. over. Um, you're, you're, you're pretty much the same guy off the floor as you are, you know, on the floor. Maybe some guys are maybe might be a little more intense, but you have the same strengths and weaknesses. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and then our sense of accountability is huge. And, and, if we can hold each other accountable, if, if we're open um, to having someone hold us accountable and, and, and reminding us when things need to be done a certain way in a certain manner at a certain time, then you have a group that is conducive to being successful together. Um, there's three aspects of our life, right? We've got social life, we've got our academic life, and we've got our athletic life. And I've always believed if you're, if you're struggling in two of those areas, it might not work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so you need to find a way to balance your life to where you're, you're, you're always, you're doing a good job in at least two of those areas because you'll have some adversity, right? You'll, you'll fail an exam. Well, if that happens, if your relationship with your, with your teammates and your neighbors in your dorm or whatever other friends you have is, is solid and you're not super homesick um, and you're having a positive experience on the floor, then you'll get yourself through that academic obstacle, right? If, you know, a young man struggling in the classroom, not playing very much, and not happy with his role, uh, or the team's not very good, then that's going to impact the other piece. And and so we always try to focus on the fact that you've got those three, work hard to, to be successful in all three areas, but do know that there'll be some times where you're going to need to come talk to someone about one of those areas and ask for some help and get through it. Um, and, and I think our brand is really what gets us through that, those, those pillars you were talking about. It sounds like when you when you talk about those principles that the concept of vulnerability comes to mind that your players have to feel comfortable coming and talking to you coming and talking to your staff about about problems and challenges they're experiencing and that you know for a young man vulnerability is a tough tough lesson to learn but it sounds like you've created a culture where that that's I don't know if it's an explicit value or if it's sort of a consequence of your system, but is that, how do you, how do you think about that concept? We'll point it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, more so on the floor, you know, in a group setting, we, we've got to figure out what everyone's weaknesses are so we can be there to cover for them. Right. And, and I think that's the beginning of, of discussing your vulnerability. Right. Um, I might have slow feet. I might not remember things. I might, you know, there might just be one skill set that I'm not good at and I need someone to help me pick up the slack. Um, and then I need to identify your weaknesses too. Um, and, and then anything off the floor, that's usually in a one-on-one okay. conversation, come in, close the door. You know, you might need some help with some things. Um, 
Each kid's different. And, and, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with your upbringing, where you're from, um, the communities, the experiences that you've had young. Some of these kids have, you know, we will get a kid that's never faced adversity. Um, you know, examples, you know, you, you might have a kid that's never been without one of his parents for his entire life. And so if that's the case, that means you're getting picked up, dropped off. You're not driving yourself places. Um, you're not traveling without them. And so for the first time, you don't have them behind you to save you from that adverse situation that they see coming before you see coming. And, and so now you got to face it and you got to deal with it. And so now when it's minimal adversity, when you're talking about a foul call from an official, a coach yelling at you, a teammate yelling at you, you can't handle it. Um, and so a lot of times we have to address issues like that one-on-one because they didn't realize that they were vulnerable in that area. Hmm. Um, so everyone's a little different. Some kids show up with thick skin. They've been through a lot. Um, they're more mature when it, when it comes to, you know, social um, situations. And, and, and so sometimes those experiences make them tougher on the basketball court. Um, so everyone's a little different. We just got to spend enough time with them to identify who's what and who, who needs help where. And if any of them can help each other out, um, we try to put them together as much as possible. Yeah, so we're living in this time where, and, and we'll get to some of this stuff eventually, but, you know, these words that you started with, you know, leadership and respect and communication and, and you know, we're living in a time where people are throwing around a lot of words that maybe or maybe don't have any meaning, right? But to you, like, these words have actual meaning and talk about how you operationalize that meaning. Like, it, it is real in your team. At least that's my perception, Um from my interaction with you and the players, talk about how you make these concepts actually mean something. Well, for me, and, and, and some of my kids, not a lot of my kids, but, but some of them, those are the exact same um, principles, action words that get them through life. Mm-hmm. In, you know, and, and the reality is just that um, for me growing up, I found myself in a lot of different settings in a lot of different situations that my, my, my ability to communicate, my respect for authority, um, to have enough pride and mental toughness to um, get through a, a situation that could be embarrassing, sometimes can be the difference between life and death for some of us. And, and so when... I'm trying to use those same skill sets to pass on to to young 18 to 24 year old year olds to graduate from college and win as many basketball games as possible. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a it's an easier scenario for them. They don't realize it, um, but for me, it, it's just common um, thought process situations um, that's probably a lot easier for me to reiterate to these guys uh, moving forward. But um, a lot of these are things I've been practicing for going on 50 years. <laughs> it's just default settings for you right. in many ways. Um, and let's talk about that upbringing. I mean, you, like we said before at the beginning of the episode, you, you, from the Seattle area, played basketball at Mercer Island High School um, and then University of Montana. I mean, two incredibly white communities, right? You know, Mercer Island, I don't know how many African-American students at Mercer Island, not many. And then University of Montana, probably even a smaller percentage. Um, 
Describe that experience as sort of a prominent student athlete at both of these communities where racially you were, you were in a very small minority. Right. Um, you know, I had a few different scenarios for me. Um, growing up in Rainier Valley, um, you know, I played, I played sports at Rainier Beach Community Center, mm-hmm. uh, far south of Seattle as you can get. And I think every team I played on, uh, football, basketball, ran track, every team was completely black, um, which a lot of people would never believe that about Seattle, right, as diverse as Seattle is. But we live in pockets. Right. And so if you play for certain community centers, those teams are going to be all black. Um, and but then I went to Catholic school for eight years. And so the school I went to was in an area called Skyway, which is up on the hill looking down. on It's, it's Seattle, but it's on the, up on the hill on your way into Renton as far south as you can be. And that was very diverse. So we'd have uh, 20 kids in a class. Um, I think I always had as many as five, four or five black kids in my class, probably just as many Asian, um, one or two Hispanic, and then, you know, white. And then there'd be some others mixed in from time to time. Um, And so that was a more diverse situation for me. So as a six-year-old, I got a chance to start having those interactions and realizing the differences between each of these communities. A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana. Hey, this is Jeff Petticord, and you're listening to A New Angle. But I'd always go down the hill, and after school, I wouldn't see those, those, those different perspectives. So I had a chance to have an introduction growing up. Mm-hmm. And so by the time it was for me to select high schools, when I went to Mercer Island, I did go through a bit of shock. I, I tried to count because someone asked me a while back. I believe there were 10 black students at Mercer Island um, my freshman year. Um, and that number up or down throughout my, my career there, but probably no more, never any more than maybe 15 out of about a thousand students. Sure. It was pretty often I'd be in a classroom with by myself. Um, so I, I, I experienced culture shock at 14. Um, but fortunately, I was able to go home at 2.30. And, and so it was part-time. Um, and, and, and I look back at it, and there were experiences that I, that I had that, you know, maybe I, maybe I stored them away. I'm not sure. But you start telling stories about the past, and you start realizing that, I went through a little more in that situation than I actually thought I did. And, and being an athlete, you're, you're popular. And so a lot of it gets disguised. You disguise it yourself. You want to be liked. You think you're liked. Um, but there, there was some adversity to that. But um, I, I, I think that those three scenarios molded me into who I am today, and which has now allowed me to bring different communities together and put them on one team and perform together as a family. And so how did those experiences kind of prepare you for your time here as a, as a player at the University of Montana? Um, where some of those same dynamics exist, but an entirely different community than, than the diversity that existed in that Seattle metro area. Well, the, 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 big, the biggest thing about when you go to college as opposed to high school is 
there, there's there's no one there's no adults for everyone to be looking around for when right. some of the things are being said or some of the things that are done and, and so it's kind of a no holds barred scenario um fortunately for me after four years of high school in that environment i saw a lot of it coming before it came hmm. and and you know and and obviously you develop um defense mechanisms um you develop ways to avoid those scenarios when you see it coming um you can tell by the way some people carry themselves where they're at and and what maybe what their perspective may be and you avoid those crowds um I don't know. It, it, it's just I found ways to not have it impact me maybe as much as the guys that were on my team that were experiencing it for the first time. Um, and and like I say, you know, in high school, you, you go to school, 2.30, you go home, um, and you, you go back to your comfort zone, hit a reset button, and do it again the next day. I, I think the biggest thing for me that, that helped me was you know, I was I was trying to toughen up my basketball team a little bit, and and you've got some guys that never probably ever, you know, silver spoon. You you don't see very much adversity. Yeah, I'd bring them home with me, and and let them get a taste of one my environment, but more just come to the gym that, that that I play in, and hear the things that we say to each other, do to each other, how physical we play. Look around. There's no adults. There's no one breaking up fights. There's there's no you know and. I think one, they had a, a different level of respect for who I was and where I came from. Um, I think they had a different perspective on the world, but but also that handful of friends also became um, spokesmen for me when I wasn't around. Hmm. And I thought that that was the most important thing for me as I look back at it. Yeah, that certainly, that certainly resonates. And so after college, I mean, you, you it's, it seemed like you shaping the lives of youth and being a leader and a mentor and a coach was particularly important early. And you've started many organizations that are dedicated to that, been involved in organizations with that and worked up through the coaching ranks. I mean, you made, you made the decision to, to come back here. Talk about that decision. I mean, you kind of bounce around taking the jobs as available, but still you have your eyes on sort of a, you know, head coaching trajectory. Talk about your career projection, uh, pr- progression, and and why you chose to to come back here. Well, originally I had no intents on coaching at all. Right when I leave college, and um, my high school coach kind of recruits me back to work a camp, and then next thing I know, he's got a job available and convinces me to do it for one year, and one year turns into three. Um. What happens is, is you just have these experiences that lead to the next thing for you, right? And, and so my time, uh, my, after my first year coaching, I had a guy offer me a counseling position at a transitional living um, center for kids that were transitioning from um, medium to maximum security for crimes. Mm. And they were transitioning back to home where they would spend, you know, six months to a year before actually going back to home, going back to their high schools and those types of things. And the, in my time there, um, I was I, I then came across some people that were um, involved with the hiring at, at Echo Glen Children's Center, which is the place where they were transitioning from. And, and, and then I spent time there. And you start reading files and realizing each of these kids need to be counseled so differently. You got 15 kids in a cottage. Um, they all have different backgrounds. They're all there for different reasons. 
and you get in a room, you, you, you're going to have these conversations, um, these strategy moments where you're trying to help them all, but you almost have to speak 15 different languages to each kid. Right. And I started realizing that that's no different than a basketball team. It's just that the, the, the scenario is a bit more extreme. And so, you know, we have um, AAU that, that a lot of these kids are taking part in, 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 in spring and summer. So I wanted to put a team together. And um, as I start to put a team together, you know, there are pro- programs that existed a lot longer than mine. So I didn't have to pick a litter. And so I've got to, I got to reach out to kids in different communities. And I figured, you know what, um, I'm coaching at Mercer Island. There's some kids here that, that aren't on elite teams that played on my team that I knew I could win with. Um, you know, I live in Seattle. There's some kids, you know, in Seattle that aren't on elite teams that I might be able to grab that didn't make a team. Um, and, and then my high school coach at Pepple had, had his own program. And he had known about a, a ninth grade group at Foss High School that had three or four kids play varsity. And, and he said, so there's a young group out there. I don't think they're on a team. If you can get in touch with that coach, you, you probably can field half your team. So I make that phone call. I go out there and have tryouts. And uh, he had a lot of kids in the gym for me. And, and just off of that Foss program, I had four returning uh, freshmen going into their sophomore year, but I also picked up three eighth graders that were going into their freshman year that could, that were good enough to play up. And when you look at, at my team at the end of the day, I had 13 kids from Mercer Island, Bellevue, South Seattle, North Seattle, and Tacoma, five different communities that were nowhere near alike um, and traveled from April to July with, with those kids. And, and you ride around in a van with a group like that, that's so different and, and you get a chance to listen and hear how they learn from each other. Um, four years later, a lot of them became close friends. Uh, they're, they're spending the night at each other's house. You've got kids from Tacoma that are from the inner city that struggle to have food every night that are at in Mercer Island in a mansion riding on jet skis on a Saturday afternoon. Then those same kids are going out to the south end of Seattle and spending the night at a kid's house that, you know, it, it's, you never know what's in the cupboard. Um, right. And so they had a chance to learn from each other. And I think they went through their own culture shocks um, w- without it being as drastic as maybe what I went through. And you look back at it now in 2020, some of these guys are still friends, refer each other uh, for jobs. Some of them are still in basketball, um, but, but most of them still stay in touch. It's pretty remarkable that, you know, thinking about that, yeah, like there's there's this, there's a kind of collective action that takes place on, on a team that you're getting to. And, and, and a lot, it provides a mechanism for people to be, to one, to set aside differences in a lot of ways, but more so than setting aside to kind of embrace and try to understand those differences so that they can be better teammates and be better friends and, and have those enduring relationships how do you approach those dimensions now with college kids that are that, that they, they don't they don't have that depth of history with each other that they get here you know at age 20 or whatever and they got to develop some of that that shared uh, wisdom uh, so they can go to, to work together right I, I don't really see it much different mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think the biggest thing is you know we talk about the differences I think that if they can discover the, the, the things they have in common first. 
that gets the guard down, right? And and so why did you come to Montana? There's going to be something common there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe what they major in, maybe some of the classes they have are together. Maybe their workout routine in the weight room and who they work out with. They're just, they're scheduled. There's going to be enough things that they have in common that they're going to be standing next to each other and it's going to force open dialogue, right? Once we start traveling, we rotate roommates and I'll, I'll stick an Australian with a kid from Oakland, California. And then the next trip, the Oakland kid might be with the kid from Montana. Um, very rarely are they going to room on the road with the people they room with here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you're just watching TV together and you comment on a movie or you comment on something you saw on CNN or one of us coaches bring up a topic in a meeting and you go back to your room together, and you just make one comment about it, you start to share opinions. That's when you start to share the differences. And that's when you start to experience the differences behind closed doors, one-on-one. And I, I think that that's a safe educational opportunity that doesn't exist in America very often because we're so segregated. Just to draw that out. So you think that athletics and maybe some other things, but athletics in particular kind of provides a unique opportunity for that type of understanding. It's what's missing. I, I, you know, I I got that first through eighth grade. My parents had to pay for that education Mm -hmm. when it was in small group settings, but to go to, to, to be in a classroom um, with 20 kids and, and there's probably 10 of us that were together from eighth through first grade. We had class together. We did everything together for eight years you get a chance to experience the differences and, 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 you know, as kids, you get, you get to try it out. Right. And and you might say things, you might do things um, that you can't do at 15, 16, 17 years old, because at that point now you, you remember those things and you hold grudges, but as a seven or eight year old, you, you, you might, you might say some things that, that are hurtful, uh, but that's what kids do. You can grow up in the same Brothers, siblings do it to each other, mm-hmm. right? And, and you get past it. And and so there's a piece of education that I got that most kids can't get because their parents can't pay for it. And forget the books, forget what I learned in history and English and, and those things. What I learned from being with a mixed group from 8.30 to 2.30 every day in field trips and those types of things prepared me for this world more than anything I was going to get in the book. The other piece is we we never learn anything about each other in the book because there's only one group's history that's in the book. Right. And, and so, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday and, and, and I, I still think education is the biggest issue with racism. And, and when you look at it, like Shusevsky made, he did his speech and, and, and he put that video out, right. And if you go look at the comments and, and when people say all lives matter to not in addition to black lives matter, but as opposed to, right. they have no idea what we've been through. They have no idea of our history or they don't care. And typically that's because they weren't educated. If those people in their original history book that they ever opened up in first, second, third grade had um, slavery, Jim Crow, Black Code, um, just the history of, of the African-American, 
in their normal um, learning process, by the time they're old enough to make a decision on what this world should look like, they'd be more compassionate. But because they don't have any knowledge of our history, they have no idea. They, they, just, they just see a group complaining about something that happened 400 years ago, not realizing that it's still happening today. And, and so a lot of these opinions are from lack of education. And sometimes their only education is what someone says at the dinner table about a group that they don't even know about. And so, you know, for me, that's why I always feel like when you stick people in the room together for a period of time and don't tell them what to talk about, they'll figure it out. For sure. How do you, along those lines, I mean, problems with education, and then you have a student community here, largely white, and then you're bringing in players, a certain number of black players come here and the prominent members of the campus community, but they're thrust into an environment like you were when you came here, or like when you went to Mercer Island, that, that's largely white and probably doesn't have that educational experience that you say that, that, that we should do a better job delivering. How do you prepare your players to, to kind of come here and thrive as, as members of this community? Um, I think it's a lot different now than my experiences. I, I, I think they're being welcomed with open arms mm-hmm. from the majority. There's always going to be a handful of people that want something different. I, you know, and, and if I were from Montana and a supporter, I would want to see as many Montana kids on the floor as possible, right? At home. Um, and, and so you're going to have some that voice that from time to time, whether they're saying it positively or negatively or whatnot, but for the, for them, from the majority, it's an open arm welcoming here. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for them that, that we try to share is perceptions, everything. And, and, and the first time you meet someone, whatever impression they walked away with, that's who you are and you'll never change that. Unless it's someone you're with every day, every day, every day, and then they get a chance to really get to know you. But most of the times you get about five, 10 minutes with somebody and that's about it. And then they're going to share that experience with 10 to 15 to 20 people. So now 25 people have an impression of you and they never met you. Um, and, and so when we, when we go places and we have events, we dress a certain way, we talk a certain way, we shake hands, we look people in the eye, we give that respect that we want in return. Mm-hmm. And most of my guys have experienced that same respect in return because they've handled themselves properly. Um, for me in my era, the things that I've experienced, Mercer Island and, and even here was I was taking someone's spot. And, you know, it, it, there was pushback at Mercer Island because there was another kid that had been the point guard for that group coming up through fifth grade. I show up in ninth grade and now I took his job. Right. Um, and it might have been their best friend. So they all found ways to poke at me to make me uncomfortable so he can have an opportunity to get his job back, maybe. And it took years for me to figure out what the game was. Um, and, I, and, I, and I sensed there was a little bit of that here where there, there may have been a kid that came in behind me or was here before me that some of the people in the community would rather see on the floor than me. Um, I don't sense my guys going through that. Um, I think that's where the community has grown. Um, but you're talking 20 years and, and that's from experiencing success and experiencing more 
black athletes in, 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 in having more positive experiences with those black athletes. So the more positive experience you have with, with these guys, football, basketball, track, on the field, in the classroom, in the community, in the hallway, um, the more positive perception that the community has and then there, that that leads to the change. And, and so I think the coaches before me did a good job of bringing in guys um, that accepted that task in, in, in a very positive way. And, and, and so over the years, by the time I got here, um, there was enough change um, for me to bring my kind of guys in and, and, and have them walk into a situation where people expected them um to I don't know I, I would I just say that the impressions of the type of kids I was bringing in were always going to be positive before I even got here and so they had a chance to come to be successful right that makes sense so coach I know we're coming up the, at the end of our time I just one more question and it kind of fits with some of these broader themes it's a question I grapple with uh, on a daily basis kind of in in the professor role is you know you want to help students, student-athletes, members of the community prepare for the future, the immediate future and the challenges, um, these values of resilience and flexibility and being adaptable and all those things. Um, How are you approaching that right now with your team? Sort of, you have some expectation of what the season should be, could be, but no real certainty. Um, Not that there's ever certainty in life, but yeah, how are you approaching that with your guys? It's a lot like life, right? It's open it is. Um, control what you can control. We say it a lot. Um, and, and that's the reality. So right now I'm telling these guys, if you wear a mask, you social distance, um, you, 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 you try not to share things, you wash your hands and all those things, you decrease your chances of um, getting sick, right? And if someone does, communicate it. Let's deal with it. Isolate, quarantine, move on, get healthy, come back. And and I, I just think that that's a reality for us as, as athletes anyway, is, is you take care of your body, you tape. So when you roll your ankle, it's not as bad. You check in with trainers every day. If you feel like you've got a cold coming on, you get up first thing in the morning, you call the trainer, you go to Curry, you, you try to nip it at the bud. Um, and, and I just think that we're, we're in this scenario with every perspective of our life right now. Um, and as an athlete, you practice this, right? I, I had a former player make this comment in a group text that this was a little while ago when, when the racism thing first blew up and we were still dealing with the pandemic. And he said, you know, we're, we're in a situation right now where, you know, the America, we're, we're supposed to be teammates. And we got a lot of bad teammates out there and um, we're not so sure about how good our coach is in terms of helping us find a way to get through these scenarios together. We can't do it individually. And when you've got a basketball team full of talent, um, but everyone's not on the same page, don't have the same goal and trying to do it on their own, they don't win. It just doesn't happen. And and so with all these things that are happening right now, it, it, that's really the communication. We just communicate the same way we do about the basketball portion of our life is pick up the slack, have each other's back, over communicate, be there for one another. I can't guarantee what it looks like tomorrow, but be prepared tomorrow if that moment comes. 
Well, Coach, that's very well put and uh, a great way to bring the conversation to a close. Thank you for this conversation, but more so, thanks for all you're, you're doing for the community, uh, for our young student-athletes in it uh, and beyond. And, um, yeah, I wish you all, all the best. Thank you. I'm glad I could do it. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that A New Angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps our awesome interns, Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson, Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO for the tunes, and finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.